Hello listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Now, after our somewhat scientific take on salamanders, and another somewhat educational interview on zombies, I'm feeling like we're ready to dive back into the murky waters of the mostly monstrous. And I can't think of a better place to start than horses. Horses have been hanging out with humans since approximately 3500 BCE. Their domestication allowed travel over great distances, improved hunting, and changed conflict irreversibly. There are a great many mythical horses. Slepnir, Epona, Shadowfax, the list goes on and on, and is frankly far too long for one episode. So for this episode, we will be tackling a very specific genre of mythical horse. Specifically, horses gone bad. This episode is all about killer horses, so let's take a look at some famous man-eaters, a terrifying alternative to the centaur and its many, many cousins, and some historical accounts made infamous by a somewhat unscrupulous writer. So to start, let me be the first to admit that I am not much of an equestrian. In total, I had riding lessons for a week when I was five, I've worked for a few weeks mucking stables for Frisian horses, been subject to the nippy affection of a foal the same height as me, rode very tired horses on guided vacation rides, and learned how to grind a horse's teeth down in vet camp in 8th grade. My experience, in short, is, well, short. One thing that's always stuck with me about horses, though, is how big they are. The average thoroughbred stands at about 16 hands or 172.72 centimeters, or 68 inches for our non-equestrian friends. This same horse also weighs about 1,000 pounds, or 453.592 kilograms. That's a pretty big animal to be bossed around by a rather petite-by-comparison homo sapien. Who's to say that once you jump on the horse's back, the horse won't have other ideas about where you should go? Apparently, this sentiment is also shared by the Welsh, the Scottish, and the natives of the Shetland and Orkney Isles. Without further ado, I bring you the Nukalavi and its many cousins. The Nukalavi is a native of the Orkney Islands. Thought to be a composite creature from Norse mythology and the native belief in water horses, of which there are many, the Nukalavi proves that sometimes cultural exchange is terrifying. The Nukalavi is a sea creature that, during the summer months, is confined to the sea only by the ancient guardian spirit the Mither of the Sea. Unfortunately for the populace of the Orkney Isles, the Mither of the Sea has to annually fight her archenemy Terran in the spring and summer, and so in the fall, exhausted, she has no choice but to let the Nukalavi escape to wreak havoc on humanity. And wreak havoc it does. Not content to go after boats like many of its sea monster peers, the Nukalavi instead takes to the land. While there is no account of its sea form, on land the Nukalavi takes the appearance of... a horse, with fin-like appendages on its legs and also a man's torso, like a rider, but with no legs, arms that reach to the ground, and a head about three feet wide that, and I quote, continually rolls back and forth, presumably because it's too big. Oh, and also the horse head is a single giant red eye and an enormous whale-like mouth that emits toxic vapors. Oh, and also it has no skin. So you too can watch, and I quote, Black blood coursing through yellow veins, and the pale sinews and powerful muscles are visible as a pulsating mass. Yucky. Once on land, the Nukalavi is not content to be horrifying only in appearance. Those toxic vapors it emits? 
It travels the countryside, using those to wilt crops and sicken livestock, and also somehow cause droughts. But that's not all, folks. If it finds you alone at night on the road, it is most certainly going to chase you down and eat you, grabbing at you with its two long human arms. It's uncertain if, after capture, the horse head or the human head does the eating, because of course, there are no stories of a Nukalavi catching anyone. Because there is no surviving if the Nukalavi catches you. In the most famous encounter, an islander Tamas was chased along a lonely road by the Nukalavi, only escaping because he accidentally splashed it with some water from the lock alongside the road. The Nukalavi, being a sea creature, hates fresh water because the pH balance is not to its liking, and so Tomas had just enough time to jump across a freshwater channel to a nearby bank, thwarting the manhorse who would not cross the improperly balanced freshwater. Sea creatures, am I right? In fact, this is also how you thwart the other sea monster in the Orkney Islands, or the Shetland Islands, the Tangi. That's right, as if the Nukalavi wasn't enough sea-dwelling horse monster, the Tangi is another spirit that, while at sea, looks like a seahorse or a merman, but on land looks like an old man or a horse that's covered in tange, or seaweed. This monster's specialty is, to the surprise of no one, terrorizing lone travelers walking by locks at night, especially women. The tangi is sneakier than its cousin, though. A tangi will either wait for you to walk by it, and then drag you into the water to devour, or wait for you to get on its back, and then take off running toward the nearest sea cliff, where it will jump off the cliff with you on it and disappear into blue flames leaving you with a long way down to ponder why you decided to jump on a strange horse's back. Unluckily for weary travelers, avoiding the Orkney and Shetland Islands will not protect you from water horsey monsters. Thinking about going to Wales? Well, don't, because waiting for you there is the Kefeldur, an occasionally murderous shape-shifting water horse, who can fly and turn into mist, and whose favorite activity, again, surprises no one. The Kefeldur inhabits mountain pools and waterfalls, and takes prey one of two ways. It either waits for lone travelers to get close enough to the water, leaping out and trampling them to death, or if it's feeling lazy and it's already on land, it'll wait. The Kefeldur's preferred horse form is beautiful and fast-looking, so it doesn't take much effort for the creature to entice tired travelers for a ride. Unfortunately for would-be horse thieves, though, once you're on, the Kefeldur then flies up into the air and evaporates, dropping the rider to their death. Man, hate it when that happens. So, maybe Scotland? Nope, think again. Scotland is home to both the infamous Kelpie and the less famous but more murderous Ichuish, horse monsters that just want to give you a lift. These two creatures have territories throughout Scotland that occasionally intersect, much to the confusion and dismay of everyone involved, which we'll get into in the Perthshire incident. But for simplicity's sake, the Kelpie primarily lives in the deep pools of rivers and streams, and the Ichuish prefers to live in freshwater locks, saltwater locks, and occasionally the sea. Both species are shapeshifters that can appear as handsome men or horses with varying degrees of seaweed or mud in their manes or hair. However, the Ichuish is just a little better at shapeshifting, as one way to tell if a horse is a kelpie is to look at the hooves. Kelpie hooves are actually backward from normal horse hooves. It's all in the details. The preferred method of hunt is likewise similar in both species, but with the Ichuish being a little more roundabout. In horse form, the Kelpie will wait by the water for a rider, or several riders, to entice onto its back. In horse form, the Kelpie can actually extend its back to accommodate more travelers, so the more the merrier. Once you're on, though, the Kelpie's skin becomes adhesive, and, hapless riders secured, the Kelpie then plunges into the nearest body of water, 
John aids victims so it can eat everything but their entrails at its leisure. The Ichuizu's method is pretty much the same, but with one important difference. The Ichuizu's horse form is actually safe to ride, so long as there's no water in sight. So in theory, if you found an Ichuizu in a field and decided to hitch a ride, you might actually be able to get to your final destination provided there weren't any bodies of water along the way. Once the Ichuizu sees or smells water, though, it's game over. The Ichuizu's skin also becomes adhesive, and, diving into the deepest part of the closest lock, the Ishuij devours everything of its prey but its liver. Which I understand. I don't like liver either. Now there is one town in Scotland, Perthshire, which seems to be the unlucky town where the territories of the Kelpie and the Ishuij overlap. The tale commonly goes that a group of children find a beautiful white horse on the water's edge. The children, all except for one small boy, clamor to get on the horse's back, and much to their amazement, they all fit. The other children, and sometimes the Kelpie itself, encourage the last boy to get up onto the horse. And shyly, the small boy strokes the horse's neck. And... his hand sticks. The Kelpie, impatient, then takes off running with a terrified stuck children on its back, and the last boy attached to its neck. In most variations, the boy manages to cut off his fingers or his whole hands to free himself, but the other children are carried into the water, with only their entrails being found later. Unfortunately for the children of Perthshire, this is not the only water monster horse story in their town. A very similar tale is told where the culprit is an Ishuij whose back doesn't stretch and the surviving boy is absent. I'd imagine the people of Perthshire are very vigilant towards lone horses by the water's edge. Now, this doesn't fit neatly, but I would be remiss not to mention a few quick little facts about Kelpies and their tack. Apparently, if a Kelpie appears in horse form without a bridle, you can capture it by getting a halter around it that's stamped with the sign of the cross. The Kelpie is then forced to be your horse, and as long as you don't ride it near open water, it's apparently legendarily fast and strong. If you ride it near water, though, game over. The Kelpie pulls you into the water and does what Kelpies do best. High risk, high reward. Now, if a Kelpie appears as a horse with a bridle already on it, if you can get the bridle off without getting dragged into the water, the bridle has magical properties. like. Very magical. Apparently, brandishing the bridle of a Kelpie at someone will instantly turn them into a horse or pony. Finally answering the question, why the long face? Now, you might be thinking, well, water horses eat people, sure. But regular land horses are just scaredy-cat herbivores. Well, my friends, let me introduce you to the mayors of Diomedes. Wild, sometimes fire-breathing horses that belong to the giant Diomedes. These horses ate human flesh exclusively. Their names were Podargos, meaning the swift, Lampon, the shining, Xanthos, the yellow, and Dinos, the terrible. Stealing these horses was one of the eight labors of Hercules. After stealing them from Diomedes, Hercules then makes the unfortunate error of leaving these man-eating horses with a non-demigod companion, who promptly gets devoured. Hercules, in his grief, feeds Diomedes to his own horses, proving that even if you give them cool names, Horse is gonna do what horse is gonna do. After eating their former master, swift, shining, yellow, and terrible, then calm down long enough for Hercules to bind their mouths, to prevent all the fire and human eating, and allow themselves to be shipped back to King Eurytheus. Alexander the Great apparently claimed his favorite horse Bucephalus was actually descended from these mares. Hopefully he never tested that theory out on anyone. Especially because a little manslaughter and meat-eating is not necessarily out of the question for the average horse. In a recent, rather sensationalist book, Deadly Equines, 
author Cuchelain O'Reilly goes into depth on the history of meat-eating horses. While the book itself is a little overdramatic and reachy, it does have a few valid points. A. The average horse will eat meat if offered it, especially in areas where nutrients like salt are scarce. In Iceland, it's actually pretty common to supplement horses with salted fish in the winter. And B. Horses are big animals, and they can be deadly to humans. A particularly vivid account from the 1800s by a man named William Knighton describes a man-eater of Lucknow, a large bay stallion belonging to the British, that after arriving in India went on rampage, killing at least three people. The horse was eventually captured and actually sentenced to death by tiger by the local king. Evidently, though, the horse did not agree. William's account has the horse kicking the tiger so hard he broke its jaw and the tiger, and I quote, fleeing like a whipped spaniel. An additional tiger and three water buffaloes were sent against the horse. The horse did not go down. This horse was afterwards kept by the local king as an ill-tempered novelty. Unfortunately, records of this horse stop after that. I assume the movie is in the works. Now, the point of this story is not avoid horses altogether, but maybe next time you're going for a ride, offer your horsey friend an extra carrot or two, and avoid all bodies of water. So that is going to do it this week for man-eating horses. I hope you enjoyed these ponies, and if you're curious about any of these stories, check out the show notes to find out more. Intro and outro music is by Scott Ethington. Lastly, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.